Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. shave hair and uh, that's kind of a I think a rite of passage a lot of guys when you pull out the pocket knife and shave a little hair off their arm just kind of prove you know just kind of prove the edge and I've never really possessed that ability I've never taken the time to hone those skills but I know people who have those skills my son one of them and I've, I've watched him put an edge like that on a hatchet and even an axe, we're just an axe, and uh, it's just subtle, small things, amen. You don't do that by just laying a blade into a grinding stone, letting sparks fly, it's just a subtle thing. And so tonight, no matter how subtly the Spirit of God may move among us, don't think we're going to leave here unchanged if we want to be changed and affected by the Word of God. The book of Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 The Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus, and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which ye have to all the saints, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the the truth of the gospel, which is coming to you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God in truth. And as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Amen. I, I know that's a little confusing there, a little bit of the, of the writing of that, but Paul is simply writing a letter to the church of Colossae. Amen. And he is admonishing them and admiring their walk with God and admonishing them to further walk with the Lord. And so tonight, I want to just speak from this subject, the change agent of truth. I'm thankful for the truth of the Word of God, and I'm thankful for the truth's ability to change me. Amen. And so I want to just keep myself exposed to the truth because that is what will change me. What a wonderful and beautiful crowd there is here this evening. Amen. We want to admonish the presence of God to just have His way. Would you do that? Lord, we love you tonight. Thank you for your 
holy presence we feel in this house. And I thank you for everyone that is here tonight. We certainly appreciate it. Do not take for granted, Lord, the presence of every soul that is in this building. And I pray that your holy anointing will touch my mind and help me to do justice, to, to deliver your word tonight. I pray that you'll speak to our heart and change us, dear God, by the power of your word. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. And you can be seated. The uh, Colossae was never named in the book of Acts, uh, primarily because Paul did not start the Colossian church. As a matter of fact, uh, history teaches us that Paul never even visited the church in Colossae. But he heard of their faith, and uh, we read about that in verse number 4. Also in verse number 9, he uh, refers to hearing of their faith. And, uh, but he had never seen these people personally, and yet the Apostle Paul wrote them a letter. I think it's important for us to understand the prominence, or just be reminded of the prominence of the Apostle Paul in this hour and the fact that the Apostle Paul has sent them a letter. I've had the privilege to attend uh, several formal meetings and uh, on more than one occasion uh, there have been times where the governor of the state has written a letter uh, maybe honoring some mile mark or milestone in someone's life um, even a, even an occasion I remember many years ago uh, an occasion at our general conference where the president of the United States uh, sent a video and uh, welcoming and uh, admonishing uh, our week of, of gathering and our conference and things of that nature. And so it was a, certainly a high honor to have a letter uh, like that to be shared or in that case a video to be shared. And it was an acknowledgement. It was not, it was not an acknowledgement from somebody down the road. Uh, just, you know, John lives down the street, thought was a pretty good old guy. But, but here's the Apostle Paul, although he didn't start the church, never even visited the church, didn't know these people personally, but what he had heard of them prompted him to write a letter. And so I want us to understand the importance, at least the setting of that letter. And so here's a church of unknown people um, essentially receiving a letter from what we might say the great Apostle Paul because he was a great man. The Colossian church uh, began certainly as an outgrowth of the ministry of Paul when he was in, in Ephesus. We can read in Acts chapter 19 and also in Acts chapter 20 about the effective work that Paul did in Ephesus. And uh, he was a, a, a real witness to, in that city, did great things. And as a result of that, an indirect result of that, um, the church was born in Colossae. And so I think it's important for us to understand and appreciate the power of God's word. Amen. His word, that seed can be planted, and you just absolutely have no idea of where that seed is going to come up. The Bible says in, in the 19th chapter of Acts, in verse number 10, all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And so the word of the Lord was going forth. Amen. It was going forth, and I'm thankful for that. I pray often for the outreach ministries of our church that the word of the Lord would just be delivered in the atmosphere. Amen. I'm very sincere in my prayer about that. And I'm very serious in sharing that with you. 
that not just the people that are being ministered to directly, but that the word of God would just be released into the atmosphere. Amen. I pray about that certainly many times when we're praying about our daughter work in Madison because uh, I don't want I don't want just those that are in the audience or just those that are in the chairs to be affected by the worship that's going on or by the word that's going forth. But I pray, Lord, let the word of the tr- the truth of these songs, the truth of the word, whether I'm there or not, I pray, Lord, I want that to be released into this community. <laughs> Amen. I'll say about that. Uh, in particular, I pray that not just while they're in church on Sunday afternoons but or on Tuesday night in their Bible studies, but I pray that when people drive by that building that they feel a pull, amen, something that just draws them there. They happen to be at the intersection of uh, Highway 90 and, and uh, 53, and so there's a lot of traffic there. People have, are called on to stop at that traffic light. I said, Lord, don't let them sit here at this light in vain. Speak to their heart when they're sitting here at this traffic light. Amen. Let the word of the Lord go forth. And so uh, when, when we read in Acts 19 about all of Asia hearing the word of the Lord, Jews and Greeks, this would certainly include Colossae. And uh, it's easy for us to read this passage of Scripture and, and if we're not careful, miss the meat of what's being said. But during, during Paul's ministry in Ephesus, at least two men from Colossae came to the revelation of Jesus Christ. They uh, were touched by the ministry of Paul, came to understand who Jesus was, and uh, that was uh, Epaphras and Philemon. Epaphras apparently uh, was one of the key founders of the church at Colossae, and we know that he shared, according to this letter, we know that he shared the gospel with his friends there because in the first chapter in verse number 7, it refers to him as a faithful minister of Christ, And so here is a man who really doesn't have a lot of pedigrees, as we may say, but he was an effective witness to what the Lord had done in his life. And I believe the lesson there for us is the fact that God doesn't always have to have somebody that has a title. Amen. You don't have to be an apostle, so to speak, uh, or you don't even have to have a full-time ministry to have something established. You can be a witness. You and I can be a witness wherever we are because I, I, I don't really uh, like the terminology of uh, laity and, uh, you know, the, the ministry and laity. I, I understand why we do that to try to differentiate, but I, I don't believe God's system is set up in, as such. But for the sake of uh, maybe just an illustration, here are just two laymen. I don't mean that in a condescending way, but here's just two common men and that, that are in the church and but yet God used them they were incredibly instrumental in starting the church and sometimes I think we wait or we feel like we've got to wait until we have a title to be effective and that's not true at all God has called us to be effective right where we are you have something that nobody else in this building has and that is you have your own personal testimony of what the Lord has done for you that may differ greatly from the person sitting in front of you or behind you. And uh, it doesn't matter which way that it differs, but it may differ. That We are all unique, and God has done a unique work in each and every one of us. And so that is something that we have that no one else has. And so here are two common men, two laymen, that were instrumental in getting this church started. According to history, the Colossian Assembly was predominantly Gentiles. But we also know 
uh, that, that the church, was when they received this letter, or this letter was written to them, was probably somewhere around five years old. And so it was what we might call a new work. Uh, um, we may call that a North American missions work at this particular point if we were talking about it in our language. Amen. The church was very young, and it gives us a little bit of insight as to who they were, sort of where they were, and that, that leads me really to the heart of what we're talking about here tonight, and that is the importance of truth, the importance of the truth of God's Word, not to just believe whatever comes down the pike, or whatever we may stumble on, because what we believe matters. It really matters. What you believe determines how, determines how we behave and how we respond to various things in life. If we just think about the current events of our of our world, and I'm sure that we can, you can make that statement, the statement that I just made, talking about the current events of our world. We could timestamp that at any point in history, because there's always been uh, some turbulence going on. But if we were just to think about the world in which we live. And um, while there's a lot of wonderful things that we can be proud of, there are a lot of things going on in our world that no one's proud of. Amen? And so we wonder sometimes, why do people do what they do? Why would somebody murder another person? Why would somebody do this? Or why would somebody do that? And uh, the answer to that is pretty straightforward, and I'm not trying to, to min minimize it at all. But many people do what they do because they believe what they're doing is right. Amen. And so many people respond the way they respond because they feel like that's the right way to respond. And uh, they do that because that's what they believe. And so there is an ideology that directs them. They feel like this is what's right. You may have one particular bent. Um, you may have one particular belief. I'm not talking about church or religious belief. Uh, and then somebody you may find that has the completely polar opposite beliefs. We see that a lot in government. You see, especially the day we're living in, what, my, how divided the factions are. And we think, well, how could you act that way? Or why would you say that? And they say that because there is an ideology in their mind that justifies what they are thinking or what they're, the message they're preaching or representing. So what we believe matters. It truly matters. And so we must build our life, when we're talking about now spiritual things, we must build our life spiritually on a solid foundation of biblical doctrine. Not the doctrines of men, but on biblical doctrine. In addition to that, it is vital that we have our theology straight. Amen. We all have a theology, so don't let that word throw you off because theology is just simply your understanding of God. And so everybody has a theology. Everybody has their understanding of God. And our understanding of God re relates to how, or determines rather, how we relate to God or how we think about God. Uh, you know, to, to many, many people, so it appears that God is way down on their totem pole. Way down on their list of priorities. Because church is just something you do a couple of times a year Church is just a special event, a wedding or a funeral. And so God is just way down on their list of priorities. And we can think, why in the world would they go fishing on Sunday instead of going to the house of God on Sunday? It's their ideology. It's their belief. It's, the, it's their relationship to God. God is in their life, so to speak. Amen. But he's just way down and way off in the distance of their life. Amen. So 
we have to have an understanding of God, a true understanding of God, because how we see Him is how we respond to Him. Amen. I, I am frightened, to be very frank with you, and I've said this a hundred times or more through the years. I am, I am very frightened when I see people that are in the presence of God, amen, who don't respond to the presence of God. Whether they have the Holy Ghost or not, Amen. I, I'm the Spirit of God in our midst, we there should be some sort of response. It would just frighten me to no end if I could be unmoved in the presence of God. And so I've often said, if you feel the presence of the Lord in the service, you ought to do something about that. You ought to move some way about that. I'm not just talking about shake your hand, but we need to be moved by that. I've also said if you don't feel the presence of God, you really ought to do something about that. You really ought to move. You really ought to be stirred, amen, by that. And so I not only does our understanding of God relate to how or determine how we relate to God, but it also determines how we relate to other people, one another in particular. Amen. For instance, in basic theology, we learn about the attributes of God. And the attributes are God are a way of trying to describe God, maybe to define God to ourselves or perhaps to describe God to someone else. And so, for instance, we may say that God is eternal or he has no beginning and he has no end. We know that to be true from Scripture. God is omnipotent or God is all-powerful or God is holy. Amen. These are all attributes and, of course, many, many others, attributes that we would state as a way to try to define God in our own life or to, to describe God perhaps to an unbeliever. And it, I think it's very important to understand the attributes of God. It makes a difference to believe that God is a merciful, in other words. I do know that God is a God of judgment, but I'm thankful to know the mercy of God because if I didn't understand the attribute of God's mercy, when I failed Him, if I thought if I come back in his presence that he's just going to squash me like a bug, I'd be pretty hesitant to come to an altar of prayer. But when I understand the attribute of God's mercy, amen, and when I understand the, the, the character of God, when I understand the power of being able to come back into the presence of the Lord in prayer, not necessarily in a corporate service, but in prayer, to lift my hands and my voice and say, I need you, Lord. A song years ago, we sang it many times, I'm back again, Lord. Amen. Doesn't that describe us? I'm, here I am, right back again. Amen. And, and, and I'm thankful to know that the mercy of God. Paul said we don't sin just because grace abounds. He said, God forbid that we would sin just because grace abounds. But I am thankful to know the attribute of God's mercy. Amen. And so I know that God is not trying to kill me or destroy me but God wants to restore me amen so what we believe about God makes a big difference in how we relate to God I mean if you were deathly afraid of someone that fear would demonstrate itself when you were in the presence of that person amen <clears throat> Some of you are around somebody you're afraid of and they move their hands real quick. You're going to duck. You can figure out who those two people are. <laughs> they, they may, those characters may change, but the principle is the same. If you're deathly afraid of someone and somebody moves out of character, 
then we're going we're gonna to have a fear. That's going to determine how we relate to them. But when you're completely comfortable, you know, uh, children often uh, fall asleep in, in church. Uh, adults do too. <laughs> I'm watching just so you know. And uh, you see those children that fall asleep in church and you, those parents scoop them up and put them in the car and take them home maybe many, many miles away and put them to bed. And they just went to sleep in church and woke up the next morning in their home. Amen. What would you give for about 15 minutes of sleep like that? <laughs> just just a half an hour of sleep like that. And, it, and the reason they're in that state is because of their trust. And their trust determines how they respond in that presence. And I'm thankful for that. Amen. I'm thankful. It always makes me feel good to see children that are asleep in transit. Because it's a sign to me they feel safe in the arms that they're in. Amen. And so what you believe about God changes how we respond in His presence. It makes a big difference. It really does. And so that's why it's important to study the Word of God. That's why it's important to be here tonight. We're going to talk about the word of the Lord. And so whether you leave here and say, wow, or you just leave here, we're going to leave here changed because of the honing effect of the word of God. Amen. So that's why it's important to study the word of God. The message to the, of the book of Colossians centers on having the right view of Jesus Christ and how we should live our life out before the world. And so as Paul is writing this letter, uh, he knew that there were problems that, were, that the church was facing. There were cultural problems that the church was facing. The truth about Christian living in the church of Colossae was really being distorted, and the truth about Jesus him, Christ himself was being distorted. And, and I'll get a little more specific with that. The church was facing a combination of things, two main things, and that was Greek philosophy and Jewish legalism. And so those were two opposing forces that were at work in the church. And so this Greek philosophy would, would later turn into a system that is known as Gnosticism, and the term comes from the Greek word Gnosis or Gnosis, which really means to know, to know. And so an agnostic is someone who doesn't want to know. Amen. So a Gnostic were people who were in the know. They were in the cutting edge, so to speak, uh, when it came to the deep things of God. On the other hand, on the other complete other side of this was the Jewish legalism that focused on the importance of ceremonial laws. And so we've got these people that on one side, they just really want to know all there is to know about the Lord. And you've got another faction of people here that just has nothing but a book of laws and ceremony. And so the views that were coming into, into focus here were threatening the proper view of Jesus Christ. I don't want to lose you in all that, but the message of Colossians is that Jesus is so both supreme and sufficient to meet our every need. Can I tell you tonight that the message for this church and this hour is just the exact same thing, that Jesus Christ is not only supreme, but he is sufficient for our every need. Amen. And so the challenge that we face today, 
I know there are many, but one of the challenges we face today is to know Jesus Christ more, to know him more intimately, to know him more passionately, and we can never know enough about him. There's no such thing as hearing too many songs that talk about the message of the Lord or too many sermons or to study the word of God too much. We need to focus on him, to study about him, and then as we grow in our knowledge of him, we also begin to grow in our experience of him. Amen. I believe that Christianity at large, I think if we were to boil it all down, it should be about life transformation. Something should be happening in our lives. And again, I'm not trying to wear this out, but whether or not that transformation is something that's huge that just kind of knocks us away or that transformation is something that is incremental. Truth should transform us into his image the more we seek him and the more we allow God to have control in our lives. Not just the more we seek him, but the more we seek him and allow him to have control in our lives. Because you don't live for God year after year after year and have the same old hang-ups if we're growing. Amen. We can't live for God year after year after year and still just be going around the same old perils and problems if we are growing, if there's growth. And so the focus of our text is on the power of the truth to change us. In verse number 6, it speaks about transformational power of the gospel as it affects our lives. And as we come to understand God's grace and, and its truth, amen, that grace of God brings about change. And, and here's the thing. We can be forever changed. And on and on changed. Not just changed one time and then that change lasts forever, but a constant change. Amen. I want to take a few minutes to focus on how we are changed by the truth of the gospel. Paul opens his letter uh, in his usual way. I love reading the epistles. And Paul always opens with a greeting, a very, very formal, identifies himself as an apostle of the Lord. In this case, he identifies the fact that Timothy is with him and uh, they're sending this letter to faithful saints in Colossae. And after his greeting, he turns his t- attention uh, to how he has heard that the gospel has changed them. And the first area of change is that inward change, that transformation that happened on the inside. The, in- the inward transformation changed the way they see God and it changed how they viewed life. Amen. So uh, we have to ask ourselves, how, do, how has living for the Lord changed us? Amen. We should be changed, amen, from the old creature that we were. There should be evidence of change. It should transform our attitude. It really should. As when we live for God, when we receive the truth of the gospel, we should understand the power of that change, to, uh, of, that, of that experience, rather, to change who we are, change our attitude. Uh, faith, uh, the Bible talks about a lot about faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But faith has come to birth in our life, and I'm thankful for that. And that's what happens when you come to the Lord, because we are not only saved by faith, but we live by faith. Amen. But Hebrews 1 and 11 talks about faith being the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Simply put, faith is being persuaded that something is true and then putting our trust in that, investing everything that we have. I want to be clear that faith is not some blind leap into the dark. 
Amen. Faith is not foolishness. Faith is not some blind leap into the dark, but faith is being persuaded that something is true, and now I'm going to trust that something that's true. True Christian faith, I believe, is based on evidence. I think that our faith can be strengthened, and I also think that our faith can be shaken. Now, how many would not be ashamed tonight to say there have been times your faith has been strengthened, but there have been times your faith has been shaken? Absolutely. Amen. We all exercise our faith every day. You might think you have no faith. Amen. But anybody that has to leave here and go to Swanee County or that has to go back through Bell, you're going to have to, at least that this element, you're going to have to exercise some faith or even going back to Fannin Springs, you're, you're going to have to exercise some faith on your way home tonight. Because all of the folks I just mentioned, you're going to have to cross the river. You're going to have to drive across the bridge. And you're going to have to have faith that it holds you up. I hope I didn't just ruin your trip home. <laughs> we exercise faith. We exercise faith all the time. You're exercising faith right now. Because... I said a moment ago, I'm sorry to set you up for this, but after we got through praying, I said a moment ago, you may be seated, and you dropped like rocks. So you had faith that the pews were going to hold you. <laughs> so we got a lot of faith going on around here tonight, and we got more faith that we're going to exercise on the way home. Faith. Amen. These are just simple matters, simple life matters, but we trust things all the time. Amen. But faith in the Lord is just like that. You don't know what's going to work till you try it, but you've got to try it. It requires that we believe, and then we have to act on that belief. Amen. So we have to trust, and we have to obey. And so we can't just believe that Jesus Christ died on, our, on a cross. We can believe that, but we can't just stop there. We've got to commit ourselves to live for him. Amen. So we not only stand by faith, but we've got to walk in that faith. In Colossians 1 and 4, he says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have to all saints. And so how we live and the way we live, how we live out our lives day by day is characterized by love. Love is such a vital, important part of our walk with God. You may not be able to sing a lick. Amen. You may not have any administrative skills. You may not be a musician. You may not be a teacher. Amen. But I'm going to tell you that, amen, we must possess the quality of love, the attribute of love. Jesus was so, uh, he thought this was so important that John recorded and, and, and Jesus saying this, by, shall, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. Amen. By this is that you have love one toward another. Not that you have all of these skills or not that you have all of these attributes, but we've got to have love. And so loving one another is evident of a right relationship with God, following God and walking in love. That's, they're synonymous. They just go hand in hand. You can't have love one without the other. Now, I'm going to be very honest with you and tell you that it is easy to love the lovable. I've never had a problem trying to get people to love lovable other, other lovable, lovable people. But everybody's not lovable. 
And there are times we're not lovable. The lovable are not lovable. Amen. But we're called on. We're called on to love at all times. And the good news is that we have the power of God to love the unlovable and to reach for people that don't reach back. Amen. To give ourselves to those who don't give back. Amen. God has given us the power to love even during times of difficulty. And and, uh, additionally, we can rest in that. Colossians 1 and 5 says, For the hope which is now laid up for you in heaven. I'm very thankful for hope in my life. Amen. I am really, really thankful for hope. Amen. He says, The hope which is laid up, laid up for you in heaven. We have hope, and that hope is in heaven. And we know that, that in this life, Paul said, if, if this was all there was in life, that we would be of all men most miserable if we thought this was the sum total of it. Just wake up, uh, a grinding, grueling day at work, dealing with this issue, dealing with that issue, and then going to bed only to wake up and do it all over again if we thought that's all there was to it. But we know that that is not all there is to it. We know that one day that we're going to experience an eternal life in all of its fullness and that what we have now is just an earnest or a down payment of that which is to come. We read in 1 Peter 1 and 4 of an inheritance that can never perish or never fade that is kept in heaven. Amen. It is stored in heaven for us. And so that is the hope of every child of God. The philosophy of our world today, sadly, is buy now and pay later. Because nobody wants to wait for the sweet buy and buy. Or, amen. I'm, I'm very, very serious about that. We're not conditioned to have a hope for something. When, uh, when my wife and I married, uh, when, we were, uh, when we married, she had uh, something that was pretty common then. I don't know if it is now, but it was called a hope chest. Anybody ever heard of a hope chest? And in this chest... Uh, were, were things that represented a day that would come. A day not only that, that she would be married, but a day that she would have a family, a home. And so in this hope chest, this chest was not filled with just whimsical items, but it was filled with things that would be instrumental in the making of a home. Things like linens. And tell me some other things. Say it again. Quilts and flatware and and um, a, pic- a picture of me or two in there maybe. No? Not at all? Not in front of all these people you don't want to say yes? <laughs> like I said, not whimsical items. <laughs> She's helping me. She's making my points for me. It was, uh, it was, it was. Long before we met, long before we had a future, there was a hope of a future. And so items were placed into that that were not for today, but they were for tomorrow. Now, I'm going to think that in the heart, and I'm not just trying to embarrass her, but I'm just going to think that in my mind that a young lady that would have a bent or the proclivity to have something like a hope chest, that there would be times that some of those items would be taken out Maybe a quilt uh, taken out that would represent her future and just 
fold it up, maybe hold it, and think about the day that's going to come. I'm not just talking about her now. I'm just talking about a life that is to come. Amen. Take that quilt out and think that one day that quilt, perhaps a baby blanket, will, will cradle my child and, and to hold that, to look at it, and to fold it away, fold it up and put it away and close that lid. I, I hope I'm not being too dramatic for you tonight, but it represented a day to come, a hope that, to, that would come. But you see, we are not so subtly in the world that we live in. We are not conditioned to have hope. Amen. How many have heard this lately? No money down. You can drive away today. <laughs> Car average companies will just tell you, you just drag it in, haul it in, drop it off, and we'll give you, you know, so many thousand dollars, whether it's running or not. Because you just drive away in the car of your dreams. And it can all happen now. And so we are conditioned to not have to worry about hope. Why hope to get a car one day when you can get it this afternoon? Amen. <laughs> I'm, I'm all up in your business now. I realize that. Amen. But we don't want to wait for anything. We don't want to wait for anything. But that's not scriptural. Amen. The, our hope is in heaven. Amen. And because we have a hope, amen, men and women before us, amen, and, and, and even our generation today, because there is hope when things are not going right. We're not throwing in the towel. We're not cashing in the chips. We're not closing the Bible. Amen. And say enough is enough. When, when we understand that we are up against a high, sheer mountain. Amen. We just start humming a little song that may say this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up. My hope is there. And so if I never have it here, my hope is that I have a treasure laid up there. Amen. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8, he said, I consider that our present suffering is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in me. Amen. What I'm going through here is just a drop in the bucket to what's going to happen on the other side. Hope makes us willing to endure. Hope. Amen. Gives us, uh, hope gives us the willingness to sacrifice for, for something in the future. I'm talking to people who know what it's like to save for something. Amen. My, my pastor used to talk about a layaway program. He said they should name that lay awake programs. <laughs> Amen. Because you lay awake at night, wonder if you're ever going to get it paid off. But it was the hope of something to come. A little now, a little more later, a little more later, a little more later. And because there's a hope of something. There's a hope that we're going we're gonna to have it paid off. There's a hope that we're going to have the down payment saved. There's a hope that we're going to be able to save the money to pay for this. There's a hope that we're going to be able to have what it's going to take to bring this dream into fruition. And I think, sadly, in our day, we don't focus enough on hope because we want everything just low-hanging fruit, the middle shelf. If we decide we want to do that, let's just do it. Right now, and there's a lot of things that weigh into that. Uh, I'm, I've mentioned this as of late, but you know, I, we do it. Amazon Prime, we enjoy that two-day free delivery. Sister, Sister Amanda was talking about in in the Tampa area metropolitan cities that it's Amazon Now. Is that what you called it? Amazon Now, that you order it and you can get it within an hour. Is that correct? 
How many want to move to Tampa? <laughs> now. We want it now. Thank you for your honesty. We want it now. Amen. We want it right now. And so it makes, but that, but there's something about that, and that's all right in the natural, but are you following where we're going in the spiritual? That sometimes our hope is that hope. Amen. It's, and when something doesn't happen the next day, we pray tonight and it's not there in the morning, it, it can it can vanish, it can bruise our hope. Amen. But it can, And it can affect us having the right perspective. That's where I'm going. But it can transform our actions. The truth of the gospel, I, I think it should transform how we live. Not only should it change our attitude, how we think, but it should change our actions as well. Because what begins as a work on the inside, is a, it, it always should affect what happens on the outside. As you grow in the Lord, Amen. There should be some change about us. Jesus compared the gospel to a mustard seed, which starts out small, but it grows into it's something insignificant that no one can see, almost, certainly from a distance, but after a while, it grows into something that everybody can see from a long way away. And so all over the world, there's the gospel is bearing fruit, and it's growing, amen, and, and that's been going on because the seed has been cast. And so when the gospel comes to us, we begin a process called salvation. Now, salvation is not a past event that, that happens over and over and over. It's an ongoing process. Or it's not a past event that just happened one time in the sweet by and by, but it is a, an ongoing process. Salvation begins in regeneration. We're born into the family of God. But then we enter in, and what this is the journey we're on right now, and that is the process of sanctification. Amen. We are just growing in the Lord day by day, day by day. In other words, we're growing in our faith. And uh, we're called disciples. Another word for disciple is learner. And so we are learners. We are learners. And so we got to focus the, our, our attention on the Lord, study His Word, and learn more about Him and experience Him. we got to follow Him in practical ways in our daily life. And as we live for God, Daily, we become more like Him. And so the goal of this growth is to make us more like the Lord every day. That should be the goal of every child of God. How God uses you certainly is going to be different than how God uses me. But we can all be used of the Lord. We all have the same goal, and that is to be like Him and to pattern our life after Him. Amen. That is our goal. A few weeks ago, and this has happened um, many times, many times to all of us. But a few weeks ago, I was attending a funeral. I saw a gentleman I hadn't seen in a long, long time. He come up, put his arm around me, and he goes, Brother Boyd, you haven't changed not one bit in all these years. And I appreciated his kindness. And I looked at him and I smiled and I said, I have pictures at home that can prove you wrong. <laughs> he laughed. We're good friends and been a long time since we've seen each other, but good friends through the years. And he said, you know, I imagine you're right. Amen. So there are times when we think we haven't grown in the Lord. I would like to think that the Lord has pictures at home that could prove us wrong. Times when we think we're just kind of walk, walking in the same old rut. I would imagine that the Lord could say, let me show you something. Maybe you think you haven't grown. And you know, it's easy to look at long-term blocks of time and see where we've grown. Maybe you can look back and think, you know, I'm sure not the same person I was 20 years ago or 
10 years ago. It's easy to look at big blocks of time. But I want to ask you a pointed question. Can we say that I'm not where I was a month ago? That's, that's a little more focused, a little more hard-hitting. Certainly, we hope we're not what we were five years ago or a year ago, but can we be different than we were 30 days ago? And, and here's the, the deal. My point is this. I want to make sure that I'm living for the Lord on a daily basis and I'm striving to be more like Him every day. Not just Sunday, not just Wednesday, not just every now and then, not just when I get stirred, but every day. I'm not just hoping for a long-term difference or a long-term change, but I want a daily walk with Him, a closer walk with Thee. Amen. And so there was a, a time when the people of Colossae had never heard of Christ. They were walking in their traditionalism. And then a man, Epaphras, comes along who had been changed by a gospel message preached at Ephesus. And he said, I heard of a man that met a man. <laughs> and let me tell you what happened to me. And this man, a common man, just started spreading the gospel of what the Lord had done for him and it changed a city. And so we say, well, I don't know if I can make a difference where I'm working. Yes, you can because you're serving a living God. Amen. And, and you say, well, I'm not this. I'm not credentialed. I'm not that. I'm going to tell you that God can take anybody with a voice that will be a witness for him and make a huge difference. I believe that our young people can change the environment of the classroom that they're in. Amen. I believe they, I really believe that with all of my heart. Amen. I believe that we can change the atmosphere of the job where we work. Amen. The Bible talks about this man being called a faithful minister of Christ. And I believe that we're all called to a ministry, certainly. And so because of his faithfulness, other, other people were hearing the reports of their faith and, and they had become, all of them, living testimonies of what the Lord had done. What a sad state of affairs it would be if, if just one of us, if it was just me that was deemed with the responsibility of witnessing to everybody. What a sad thing that would be. But the truth of the matter is, is that while I may have the title as the pastor of this church, we're all ministers in this church. And so you're going to meet people tomorrow and perhaps you know people, and I'm sure you know people in your life that I don't know. And, and the truth of the matter is I may never even meet them, but you see them all the time. And so God can use your life and your voice. And so the, all of us have the same testimony. And so the Lord changes us. So, so in fact, we can be world changers. We are living representatives of what the Spirit of God can do. And so, like the Christians at Colossae, people are going to talk about what they see in the life of somebody else. Do you know the change that's taking place in your life? Somebody's talking about that. They may not be even saying anything to you about that, but they're talking to others about the change they see in your life. And so, just because somebody's not reporting back to you at the end of every day doesn't mean that somebody's not talking about the good things they see that God is doing in your life. Amen. I'm thankful for the ability of God's word to be changing. Amen. Changing. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you will. 
I'm thankful for the Word of God. <clears throat> and I'm thankful for, you know, I hate to categorize things, but, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for those monumental things that we can see changed in the lives of people. And maybe sometimes some of that is almost overnight changes. But more importantly are the incremental changes that are happening right here, right now. I mentioned this evening when I started about putting an edge on a piece of metal. It's just, it's just a small thing. And, and, and the grit goes, becomes finer and finer and finer and finer. When you first start off with such an aggressive coarse grit, sparks are flying. The sparks are not flying in the end because the grit has changed so fine, so fine, so subtle. It may seem like to the hand of the artisan that nothing's happening. But when they put that blade to the test to cut a piece of paper or to try to shave, they realize the proof is in the pudding. And so tonight, whether or not we feel when you close your morning prayer, whether or not you feel like that all heaven came down and glory filled your soul. The proof is not in the sparks that are flying. The proof is in the end result of what's in our hand and what we do with that. I'm thankful for the power of God's word and his truth, aren't you? Amen. There's a song, line of a song that says his truth is marching on. And I'm thankful for the ever marching of the truth of God's word. Lord, I love you today. I thank you for the privilege and the opportunity that you've given us to be here. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.